faith-filled holidays. Now, believe it or not, in this series, today we move from thinking about Thanksgiving to looking ahead to Christmas, and that does not seem possible, right? Christmas is like tomorrow. Um, you know, in church tradition sets aside the four weeks leading up to Christmas as something that's called the Advent season. And some of you might be from a a more liturgical tradition. You're very familiar with that. I was raised in liturgical tradition, and we talked about that kind of stuff, the Advent season. And Advent simply means, the word simply means looking forward to the arrival of something, of a notable person or a special thing or a special event. So for Christianity, the Christian Advent season is the four weeks, the four Sundays, leading up to Christmas, where the church expectantly waits and prepares for the arrival of the most notable person in the history of the world, Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man. Jesus, come to earth. God, come to earth. So Advent is a time where we look beneath the cultural celebration of Christmas, which a cultural celebration can be wonderful. Don't make the mistake of thinking you have to throw the baby out with the bathwater and say, oh, you can't have any fun at holidays. No, it can be wonderful time with family, time with friends, time of feasting. Who enjoyed feasting? I thoroughly enjoyed. You know what? I, you're going to laugh at me. I thank God for taste buds this Thanksgiving. I'm thinking, wow. What if nothing had any taste at all? You know? And so you can feast and enjoy it. You actually know the difference if the cranberries are on your sandwich or not. You know what? I, you can thank God for that. Thank God for the, for the time of the celebration and the generosity. Those things are all wonderful. And at Advent, though, what we do is we look beneath all of that and remember what the real meaning of Christmas is. It's remembering Jesus, that he's come into our world. Now, like at Thanksgiving... In our faith-filled holiday pack, there's all kinds of different ways you can help your family focus on them. There's activities and games and discussions and questions that you can easily go through with very little preparation. And one of the activities that it suggests, and one that we're going to do on Sundays, so it'd be a great way for you to do it during the week, so you'd reinforce it, you could actually spend some more time on it, you could actually talk about it. One of the activities that is suggested in the pack is that your family would make an advent wreath. This is an ad, did you all know this is an advent wreath? Okay, some of you, some of you have never heard of an advent wreath before, right? Bunch of you? Yeah. Yeah. Because you're not from a tradition that ever celebrated it. This is an advent wreath. And, and, and each week, an advent wreath, what you do is you light one of the five candles. And then in the packet, there'd be some scriptures, some very simple scriptures you can read and some questions you could ask about that particular week. Well, we think it's a really good idea and an easy way to take Christmas message home. So for the four weeks leading up to Christmas and on Christmas, we are going to light the candles, and they're lit one per week in the Advent wreath, and then talk about the theme that that week represents. That that if you understand the Advent wreath, you know that each week is a different week, and the candle represents that week. And some of the colors coincide with that. Um, And so we want to do that at church, then you can go home, and you can either talk about that or, you know what, your, some of your kids, especially if they're in grade school or under, aren't in here. So you could do this at home with them because they're often kids' church and they're often preschool or are often the nursery. So you can go home and, and give you a chance. You can light the candle and discuss the provided questions. It'll be an easy way to make it your home, the center of the faith. So today I'm going to light the first Advent candle and discuss the theme of it. So the first candle is three purple, one pink, and a white. 
the white, this will be discussed throughout the week, but the, the white candles obviously is talking about Jesus has come. That's the center. The four weeks leading up to it um, are purple, kind of just for royalty. And, but the third candle, so we'll start here, we're going to go around. The third candle is about joy. And so the third week is a week of joy. But today we light the first candle in the wreath. And the first candle in the wreath represents, does anybody know? You do, you're cheating. Hope. The first candle in the wreath, in the Advent wreath, is to understand hope. And that's what we're going to talk about today. To understand the hope of Christmas. To understand that hope is a primary theme of the Christmas story. It's one of the things that, that you want to get out of it, and one of the things you want to pass on during the holiday season. And to understand the idea that hope, of, the hope of Christmas, we need to understand something else about Christmas today. And it's this, it's that the Christmas story does not begin with a baby in a manger. It's not the beginning of the Christmas story. Um, nor does it begin with wise men from the east following a bright star in the sky and coming and giving presents to to the Christ child. The Christmas story, you know when it begins? The Christmas story begins in the beginning. How's your, how's your Bible start? In the beginning. The Christmas story begins in the beginning, in the beginning with the creation of all things. That's because the manger is part of a much larger story. And for Christianity to make sense, you need to put it in context of the larger story. The story of God's loving interaction with a world that he created and he set in motion and he has a plan for. You see that as we look back to the beginning, we see something. We see that soon after God speaks the world into existence and everything is good, that the story takes a dark turn. That Adam and Eve indulge their desire for the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and that their sin that they engage in then, according to Scripture, corrupts all of creation. And death and decay replace life and abundance. And it seems, at least to them right there, that all is lost. But what we learn is that God has a plan. Matter of fact, you understand something, church. When you don't know what's going on, and you're one of his kids, you can have hope. Because God has a plan. And even though it seemed like all was lost, God had a plan. Even amid the darkness and the sin, there was hope. A glimmer of hope. See, God meets face to face with his fallen children, Adam and Eve. And you know what he does when he meets them face to face? The first thing he does is he outlines their fate. First of all, he finds them. They've hidden. But then he, he doesn't sugarcoat anything. He outlines their fate. He says to Eve that, guess what? You're going to have pain in childbirth. And all the ladies say, thank you, Eve. You know, no fun. And you know what else he said, Dave? He said that this land will not produce abundantly the way it's supposed to produce. He said, the land you will work by the sweat of your brow, and, and it will produce thorns and thistles. You, use, you have to use a little spray, a little spray to keep that stuff from taking over your crops. He says, you know what? Here's the, I'm going to tell you what your fate is. He says, you're going to work really hard. And basically says, you're just going to barely get by. He says, you're going to have pain in childbirth. And then he says, you know what? You're going to be excluded from the garden of God. This beautiful place that they were in, he takes tells you guys got to leave. And he puts an angel. And he says, you can't come back. It's dark. It's, it's probably seemed hopeless. But in the midst of their, of their rebellion, 
in the midst of a penalty for their rebellion, there is hope. Because God looks at them and he looks down the future. He looks thousands of years down the road and he says, he talks about Satan being a serpent. And he says, and someday you're going to have a son, a seed. He said, the seed, which is her son, her lineage, and your seed, your son, he's going to have a bruised heel. The reason his heel's going to be bruised is because he's going to, he's going to bruise or crush the serpent's head. He looks down the path and he says, there's hope. He promises them just in a very little, in a seed-like way. He promises them a deliverer from sin's prison and effects. He says, listen, I know it's dark, but all is not lost. There is hope. And over the next 2,000 years, God acts through the events of history. The making of the nation of Israel. The voice of the prophets. To remind humanity that a deliverer was coming. He keeps saying this, listen, there's hope. And that's what we find from the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah, in, in chapter 7, the prophet has a message that he speaks to for, for the generations. And, he, and this, this, this prophecy has, has a, what's called a dual application. Listen to what Isaiah says. He's speaking to people at that time. So it's got an application there, but it also has an application that went through all the rest of history. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, a verse you're probably all familiar with. It says, Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child, and it will give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel, which means God with us. Well, first this had an immediate application to the king of the day. Isaiah was speaking to the king, to King Ahaz, who had refused to look to God for help, even though he was part of God's heritage and lineage. He had refused to look to God. Instead, he looked to other people to help him out. He looked to Assyria for military strength and support. And this was a message kind of of, of, um, of predicting something that would happen to Assyria, uh, to, to, the, to king, the king Ahaz and his people, rather. To him it foretold of a day when they would be judged and destroyed. And all the timing of when that would happen was tied to the birth of a child from a young woman. He says, listen, when this happens, when this child is born, your fate is going to come. And and for them it was words of of, of correction. Words of, "Look, look to me instead. Instead of looking to man. But this prophecy from Isaiah, we find out from the rest of Scripture like many other of the prophecies in Scripture, had another application. This prophecy's ultimate ful- fulfillment would be realized in the birth of Jesus Christ by the Virgin Mary. Her son would be called what? Emmanuel, which means God with us. And from, Is- from Isaiah's time forward, the people of God, understood this message from Isaiah, and they continued to look for the day when the most notable person of all time would come and rescue them. Remember, Advent says looking for the notable person. They're looking for the time the most notable person of all history, Emmanuel, God and man merged together, would come and God would literally be resident with his people in this person. They looked for that day. But something happened through history. God became silent. Matter of fact, in the scriptures it's called, or in history it's called the silent years. For 600 years there was no more prophecy. 
People said, how come God's not speaking to us anymore? For 600 years, God's people waited. For 600 years, they began to question, is God even there? For 600 years, they tried to hold on to a promise that Emmanuel would come. And for 600 years, the faithful hoped. And then at last, when I have to believe hope must have begun to fade, a child was born. In the most humble of circumstances, the salvation of the world was wrapped in swaddling clothes and placed in a lowly animal feeding box. Because that's what a manger is. Emmanuel, God with us, had come. And they knew it. The angels celebrated. Shepherds were in the fields and the angel says, it's happened. Go find him. The shepherds were in the fields and they went to the, to the manger and said, we've heard the message. This is Emmanuel. The wise men understood the sign. They traveled across the, the great lands from the east to come and find the baby. When they saw the signs in the heaven and they said, Emmanuel has come. John the Baptist understood it. As he began to grow and develop, and the Lord said to him, you're preparing a way for the one who's promised to come. Their hope had been fulfilled. Jesus is born. Church, this is the hope we celebrate this first week of Advent. We have hope in Jesus. And like the people of God for those thousands of years who looked forward to Jesus' coming, They heard the prophecy and they trusted God and they looked forward to it. You understand something? Our hope is also rooted in the future. You see now, we are blessed to be living in an age where Jesus has already come and has established His eternal kingdom and we can enter in and live in the reality of His nearness and we can live in the power of His reign in our current situations, something they only longed for. But like all those who look forward with hope to His coming, Our hope is also rooted in our future. You see, Jesus' first coming as our suffering Savior, the God-man who came into our world to reveal God to us and deal with the problems of sin and death through His death and resurrection, that same Jesus has promised to come again. This time as a conquering king to set up His eternal and all-encompassing kingdom. We look forward with hope to Jesus' second coming where He will rule and reign with mankind in a renewed heaven and a renewed earth forever, never to leave us again. A time when sin will be destroyed and God's children will live in resurrected glory with God Himself forever. Matter of fact, it says in Revelations, there won't even need to be a son because His presence will be our light. Friends, Christmas, light. The lights on your tree remind us that our hope is secure. Jesus, who came the first time, will come again to make all things right. And I love how, how this one author I read wrote it, Dr. Um, Zizilis is his name, if I'm saying it right. He has a wonderful way, a word picture of expressing this. He says, the Christian community has its roots in the future and its branches in the present. And I want you to do something with me today. Close your eyes. And I want you to to visualize a tree with roots and a trunk and branches. And I want you to think of it as representing your life. Your life now and your life to come. But you've got to do something different. You've got to turn that tree upside down. And you've got to put the roots to the future and the branches 
to the presence, to the present. The strength, the source, the security comes from the roots. And our roots are in our, in our future. Friends, that is a picture of what Christmas represents. Our roots are in the future. And the branches extend to our present. For Christians, our security, our hope is in a definite future. We know the future. You want to know what it is? God wins. We know the future. He doesn't worry. God's never nervous. He didn't sweat the election. He does, he's not nervous. God wins. Jesus reigns. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. That's the future. And out of that future, out of that secure future, the reality of our lives flow back to us like branches from the source back to us in our life. Our future is secure and it's glorious. Therefore, we have hope. We have confidence in a good future. Friends, that's why Christmas is a time of hope. It's a time of hope because we know the end of the story. That Jesus is alive and well, seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us, and He invites us to join Him there now. And there's a day when He's coming again to completely establish His rule and reign in His kingdom on a renewed heaven and earth. So we have hope in a secure future. But friends, it doesn't end there. Because we have hope in a secure future, the branches of that hope extend into our lives today. Jesus is a living reality for us today. Friends, Christianity just is not just about then, about hope for then. It's about hope for now. Christianity isn't just about then, it's about now. We place our hope in Jesus for our lives today because He's here with us. You see, I know something because I know your lives and I know my life. Life isn't always easy. When you're young, you might think it's always easy. Your biggest problem is, do I remember my shoes for gym class? Or whatever your problem might be. Do I have to share my candy bar with my brother or sister? Whatever that problem might be. But as we get older, we see a real world with real issues. And we say, life isn't always so easy. Some of you didn't have wonderful celebrations with family and friends on the holidays. Because of sins affecting the world. We have struggles and we have challenges as well as having joys and victories. But here's what I know because of Christmas. Because of the hope of Christmas. We have a living Savior. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. The one who came as a baby in a manger and now rules as Savior and Lord. And will return to this earth as conquering king and establish an eternal kingdom for you and me with no more negative effects of sin. And we know because of the hope of Christmas is that Savior, that ruling, reigning Savior who's sitting at, seated at the right hand of the Father interceding for us today, that that Savior is here with us right now in this place by His Spirit because He tells us that when we're gathered in His name, He's with us in a special way. 
So the question we ask ourselves today as we, as we wrap up this idea of thinking about hope is what needs do you have today? You can come and you can bring those needs to Jesus. What questions do you have today? Those questions that are, that are confusing for you, that you say, God, but it just doesn't make sense. What questions do you have? You can come today and bring those questions to Jesus. I want to invite us this morning to stand together. And the worship team's going to begin to play, or at least Suzanne's going to begin to play. And I'm going to pray for a moment, and during, as I begin to pray, let's invite you to come forward to this altar at the beginning of the Advent season and bring your needs and bring your questions, your hopes and your dreams to the living Savior. And let's place our hope in Him. Not in me, not in a church, but in Jesus, who's alive and well. So Father, we thank You for the hope that we have in You, a hope that is secure. A hope that says that You have a plan that started in the beginning and it runs through all of history. That You've been communicating Your hope. You've been communicating the fact that You have a plan for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And we can see that hope realized in Christ. God, I know this. Life in this world has challenges. There are needs we have. There are questions we have. And God, we thank you that you're the answer to those. So friends, I just invite you this morning, if there are questions, if there are needs, step from your seats and just come to the altar and begin to spend some time with Jesus. Begin to ask Him what He wants for your life. Begin to turn your circumstances over to Him. And we'll begin and we'll pray with you and we'll trust that the Lord Jesus will meet you. If you have needs, come and turn them over to Jesus.